Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it! Um... I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. Statistical fact, cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they, and he will bind them with ancient logics. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we do film studies scholarship about films that will never be in a film studies class ever. This Has this one been? Um, not, not any that I've taken. Okay, you've taken more than me, that's why I asked. None that I've taken. It could be because it is historically significant because it creates the genre we know now as the blockbuster, which really isn't a genre as much as it is a marketing technique. And also the killer animal, which wasn't really a thing before that. There, well, there, I mean, crab monsters from outer There's a lot. No, of but like blob. none of your uh, your alligators, your orcas, your uh, grizzlies. Okay, I mean, as far as real kind of things. Yeah, we're talking about Jaws, by the way. Probably introduce ourselves. We should do that. Who are you, Chatzer? I'm. <laughs> My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, that is one bad hat. I said it backwards. That's one bad hat, Dustin. <laughs> Thank you very much. Across the table, if you'd introduce yourself, please, young lady. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and I can do anything because I'm the chief of the girls here. Probably true. That's, that's <laughs> correct. That's quite, quite, quite true. <laughs> that's such a great moment. I can do anything. I'm the chief of police. Who's gonna stop? Uh, everyone in this movie is so wonderful. And, yes, I would agree with that. Uh, and my name is Dustin Sells, and we are going to need a bigger boat if Delta keeps talking. And so, bigger we'll, mic. <laughs> and so we are so happy to be here with you all to discuss the film Jaws. The way this show works is that this is not a review show, it's an analysis show. Which means we will give our quick reviews at following a synopsis here in just a few moments. But that's going to take up the next five minutes of the whole hour, hour and some odd show that you're going to have to experience because most of the time we're going to be doing analysis. So if you have lived under a rock or in a coral reef and have never seen Jaws because you're afraid to poke your head out of the anemone. Something's wrong with you. Really. uh, Your opportunity to do so will be directly following our quick reviews and then come back and hear our spoilerific analysis. So with all that said, let's move on to a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater, Mr. Dalton Stewart. That's right. Once again, you are subjected to my screechy, nasally voice because Arthur Gordon is still in protective custody. Uh, at this point, he has been airlifted uh, from his last location and currently is in parts unknown. We have no idea where he is at this point. Uh, hopefully, all is going well, and at the very least, hopefully he can get a good plate of spaghetti. Now take me to jail. When a gigantic great white shark begins to menace the small island community of Amity, a police chief, a marine scientist, and a grizzled fisherman set out to stop it. Those are all the things that happen. Now, yeah. that is accurate. That's pretty spot on. 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty succinct summary. Yeah, good, 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 and it's got everything covered. Well, let's just go ahead and just say what we think about this film. How many trash cans full of bloody chum would we give this particular film, and uh, how much we like it, what works, what doesn't work. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Well, I must say that I was very pleasantly surprised. I not to, you know, you know, beat up on old movies or anything, but some movies, <laughs> aliens, they can feel dated as time passes. This movie, made in the 70s, I didn't really notice all that much. Not I mean, there was a couple outfits I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, but most of the time, it felt straight straight up legit. I, I felt like it could still be relatable. You could plop the entire premise of Jaws into the, the 2000s and 20-teens, and it could still be, it could still work. I mean, I don't know if we've progressed so far in our shark-murdering technology that we... The <laughs> 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 quote of the week. <laughs> I must say, and I really enjoyed it, and I loved the feel of the movie a lot, and it it was great. I would give it two solid thumbs up. There's a reason why all the stuff that it inspired is now cliche. It's nice seeing where all of this comes from. Lots of quotes that I didn't know were from Jaws are from Jaws uh, after watching this, and of course... The John Williams score, rounding it out mm-hmm. completely, giving the Spielbergian full treatment to this topic. And I think it was well done, handled extremely well, great camera work throughout all of it. There's some really, that pullback, you know the one I'm talking mm-hmm. about? The whenever effect yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was so good. I would give it two solid trash cans up. There you go. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I'll tell you this much. If you keep Jaws and set in the 70s, nobody's going to be taking a selfie with the shark. <laughs> <clears throat> um, it has been a long time since I've seen Jaws from start to finish. We're talking like pre-fully functioning frontal cortex. I mean, like a small wee child. And let's face it, all small children don't have fully formed brains. If you don't recognize this, probably don't breed um my point is it's been so long since i've seen jaws that i didn't really remember a whole lot other than the iconic moments that kind of stick in your head but man this is a good good movie all blockbusters should strive to be half as good as jaws uh luckily uh we've got a couple of those this summer i really feel like that are striving to be at least decent and not just uh, a way to make money jaws is a really really awesome movie and I don't really know what more you want me to say um, pacing wise it's just so solid I mean and every just every aspect of it uh, Robert Shaw Richard Dreyfus, and son of a bitch Roy Schneider Roy Schneider thank you I was just going to say Brody they're so perfectly matched on screen they all bounce back and forth of each, off of each other so well and they have this great chemistry and there's so much depth to all of their characters without really even trying Mm-hmm. You know yeah. everything you need to know about these characters and what makes these men tick uh, w- without really any effort at all. I mean, h- hardly any. I mean, you get a lot of bigger movies, really any movie that's not character-driven, you get a lot of non-character-driven movies trying to have interesting characters and just dropping the ball all the time. Um, and here, Spielberg and his screenwriters just do it so effortlessly. 
and it's it's really something to behold, and it's just it's so much fun, and it's just a great adventure movie um, with some really solid uh, scares to it, I think. And um, man, what what what's not to like? I give it uh, I give it seven and a half chum filled trash cans out of eight. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I would um, similar similarly say similar things. The movie is fantastic. The editing, the pacing, the acting, as we've said, John Williams' score before he was all the time just trying to tell me what to feel. Um, Man, and he does it real well. <laughs> um, I, I buy it every time. Yeah, I, I get so scared every time Ben Gardner's head floats out of the hole in the boat. Uh, yeah, I... I... I didn't know that was going to happen, and I jumped maybe over the couch. Um, yeah. I'm not a small child, so I wasn't uh, that taken aback by it. But, uh, ooh, spooky. Maggots in the eye. I watched this movie. Do they have sea maggots? No, no. There were maggots in his eye, did mm. they? Hey, listener, if you like that kind of thing and know things about it, please tell us. I watched this movie like ten times a year, and yet I still was, get scared every yeah. time. Just the heebie-jeebies is what happens to me. So it's absolutely effective. It's absolutely engrossing. Uh, everything about it I just love very much. I really like how there is this sort of science aspect. Of course, Territorial Great White doesn't happen, but the rest of the lateral line and how it fills uh, the, the motion of erratic swimmers in the water and the smell of blood and those sort of things. It, it felt very, I think to young me, it was very National Geographic as an experience. I was learning things about great white sharks and wanted and, and wanted to learn more things about great white sharks because of it. And I think that's part of the, the wonder of this early period Spielberg. I want to learn more about the Ark of the Covenant when I watch Rangers of the Lost Ark. I want to know more about space aliens and, and, and just what's going on with out there in the stars and, and astronomy and the distances travel and space travel. And so those early era films of, uh, of Spielberg's really kind of encourage you to wonder at what's going on either in the, in the existing world or in the possible world. Well, I think wonder is certainly a word that comes up a lot when you talk about Spielberg's filmography. Mm-hmm. For, for obvious reasons, he does inspire a sense of awe that I don't think really anybody... I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Or I talked about seeing Close Encounters for the first time a couple weeks ago on the show. And it's honestly not a film I love, but the sense of awe and wonder it inspires mm-hmm. is just really something that I think you're hard-pressed to find somewhere else. So, absolutely. Dustin, couldn't agree more. So, yeah, I like it a whole lot. I'm going to give it um, 76 and a third crushed Narvacet beer cans out of 79. Uh, really <laughs> The paper cup. <laughs> the Just, paper cup. I could show you. I've got a paper Such a cup. Great <laughs> so, love it very much. Thank you so much, everyone, for those reviews. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. Uh, let's move on, though, and let's do what we do. We're, what we're here to do. Let's bring some analysis to that film. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? Well, I'm going to talk about something that I may or may not have talked about on the show before. We were 81 episodes in now. 81, woo! Woo-hoo. Seems like a significant milestone. Um, so I've probably talked about this at some point before, because it's something I'm fascinated about. But I want to talk about a, upsets in the social order. Um, Emil Durkheim, uh, who is considered by many to be the father of sociology, uh, did a very famous and still like 
quoted and cited study on uh, suicide in the mid-1800s, maybe. I don't know. I probably just lost a bunch of cred because uh, I can't remember dates. Um, but he did this study, and, and basically he, he reasoned out through, through his research that uh, you can trace suicide to an upset in the social order. This, this idea of anime is something. A-N-O-M-I-E, anime is what he called it. Uh, and what the, the gist of this idea is is that anime is what you get when you have a lack of the usual social setting. And this can be in a group or a person, um, an, an individual. When the balance is upset, essentially, people react strangely. Uh, when you know a single individual is affected by this too much or is invested in this too much, that's where we get suicides. In the film Jaws, in, in the town of Amity, we see this uh, take the shape of the shark. The shark is upsetting the typical societal order of this town, and people lose their minds um, in a host of different ways, in grief over the loss of a child, in, in bureaucracy and trying to bury the truth. We get a lot of different um, looks at, at how people respond to this. You know, Brody just wants to keep the people safe. Um, Quint is, is having what I can only assume is a PTSD flashback for the entire movie uh, because of his experience uh, on the in Indianapolis. Um, and Richard Dreyfuss' character, uh, whose name I can't remember, um, is really... Hooper. Hooper, thank you. Is just really like, I'm getting a chance to really look at a shark in a way I've never seen it. So these, that's how our main characters are, are viewing it. But the rest of the town is in a panic, essentially. Uh, and weirdly... I thought of something with this, with thinking about anime and this upsetting of the societal order that we promised we wouldn't talk about in Dark Knight. I started thinking about 9-11 when I was watching Jaws. Bear with me. Okay. A tragedy happens. Something no one expected to happen in, in this community in New York. And it has a, a really huge impact on the people in this town. And not so much, obviously I'm not thinking about terrorism. I'm thinking about the way people react to things, and more specifically, the way people react to the shark and, and the specter of something bad happening uh, in the wake of something bad happening, if you'll bear with me, okay? So in the wake of 9-11, uh, now America realizes, oh, terrorist attacks aren't just a thing that happened in countries we've never heard of. They're a thing that happened here. Great white shark attacks don't just happen to surfers. They happen in our sleepy, you know, beach town. What do we do now? Well, what we do is we give a bunch of dum-dums guns and send them off in droves into the water and watch them basically bungle the whole thing and come back empty-handed with the wrong shark. And that's really as far as I got with thinking about that. It was just something that I, I thought about, thinking about an upset of the social order that I really couldn't help but uh, want to touch on. Well, you've totally made a right step in the wrong direction. <laughs> no, no, no. How do you mean? How do you mean? I mean that in the best possible way. You're absolutely right. It's absolutely a reaction to a to a trauma yeah, exactly. uh, that, that has military consequences, but it's the Vietnam War. Oh. Everything yeah. you said, Vietnam War. Fair enough. Go. You're right. He is correct. <laughs> Obviously, I should have been putting this in the context of the 1970s. I was just thinking about the things my brain thinks about, which when I watch sure. movies, it's usually 9-11 because I live in, you know... In 2014. Uh, but you're absolutely right. That, that is a very interesting... The thing that I really made me go 9-11 on it is the uh, our heroes go all zero dark 30 at the end and go get the right fish. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the wrong fish uh, at the start of the movie. Yeah. But, but you make a fair point. Um, this 
this pent up uh, angst uh, and this misunderstanding and this fear uh, leads to uh, a very serious violent conflict and that is something that we see uh, in Vietnam and something that we see the films of the early to mid to late 70s really wrestling with a lot I mean think about Taxi Driver uh, think about all of the great uh, think about um, well, The Godfather to some extent think about all of the violent films of the 1970s and really all of the most important films of the 1970s I think you can find them wrestling with that to some extent so you're right uh, that was the wrong direction. Yeah, it was the uh, right step in the wrong direction. To, to, to wrap this all up, when you watch a film and you see, uh, you know, the, the exposition and, and a strong inciting incident in the film, think about the social order being upset and, and just really try to take that with you to films where we see this kind of thing happen because I think it can uh, really benefit your viewing by kind of thinking about how we in the real world react to this upset, to this enemy uh, in society, and, and how uh, we process this and how we deal with it. And that was something that I really enjoyed uh, thinking about in my viewing of Jaws. Outstanding. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohan, what analysis bring you? All right. Well, today I'd like to talk about the culture and climate of the town. Really what drew me in in the very first part of the movie, it was... It was whenever he goes to the shop and people are complaining to him about all the problems that are happening in this town. And then at the back of the viewer's mind, you're like, okay, some lady got is, is snuffing it in the bottom of the water because she got eaten by a shark, but they don't know that yet. And it's I boat just, propeller. Yeah, boat <laughs> propeller. This was no boat accident. Did you notify the Coast Guard about this? I would like to contemplate the the quote-unquote feeding frenzy of local politics because it is an issue whenever you have a community that is so dependent upon a certain resource and that resource is these people coming in droves to a place, the beach. And so there's this really interesting philosophical issue at play that the mayor is contemplating, but I doubt he's contemplating it very deeply, like we are right now. Probably not. He's I don't probably think much gets contemplated deeply inside that gourd. Yeah, he's he's basically facing a greater good question. You know that the greater good. The greater good. Yes, I love hot. <laughs> The fact that all these people come to the beach and that it's open and that they can spend their money and then the tax revenue that, you know, funds the schools, the, the properties, the services that this tiny island would not, you know, have otherwise if they didn't have this influx of money in at this time. So he's having to determine in a not very philosophical way what's going to be the best for the community. And he just, he determines that the sacrifice of a couple, you know, is the best for having the community sustain itself. And if you were put in that situation, what would you do? If you knew that you're the livelihood of your town, I d Amity Island, does it, I doubt it really exists. Yeah. Okay. It's an analog for like Martha's Vineyard or Chapel okay. Lake or, yeah. Sure. You have to, it's very remote. You have to get there by ferry. You have to get everything shipped in, which is expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of this labor, which back in the 70s, it's even more inefficient. And if you take that one valuable resource of these people away, what is it going to be left with? So you've got these questions of, well, if you have an opportunity to say, oh, the problem's solved, we've got this fish, look, it's a shark. I mean, it is a man-eater. Wouldn't you jump on that? And something that I wonder myself, would I say, 
keep the beach open just to make sure that we have sustainability for the rest of the year until next 4th of July? I don't know. That's a question that you have to ask yourself. The fa- and I also found it interesting throughout all of this that the police chief, remind me his last name. Brody. Brody. He's being micromanaged constantly. And then by the end of the thing, the woman, the widow, she comes up and she doesn't slap the mayor. She slaps the police chief. And so he's just being really moved around as a pawn throughout this entire movie until that turning point of I'm getting on the boat. We're going fishing. And that's like a lot of growth happens for, you know, our two main pro tags. And then I don't know. Would you say that? Um, I forgot the old man's name. Quint. Quint. Would you say that Quint kind of is a static character? Does he experience much growth? Through? Oh, I don't think he grows at all. Yeah. That's I mean, and that's why he gets eaten. Spoilers. You know? Oh, we're in analysis. Spoilers matter not. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that would make sense why he gets eaten. You don't want to throw all of your hardworking character development in the proverbial shark and have it chewed up and digested. Well, Brody doesn't really have much character growth either, other than so much as that he's not afraid of water anymore. I yeah. Mean, I think one of the things that really stands out to me in this film, and maybe in a lot of films that I like, actually, now that I think about it, is that your protagonist doesn't really change a whole lot. Mm. They just go through something, and then we, we get to know them as a character and just see them deal with it. Right. Um, which might be its own form of character development. I think Brody's definitely the protagonist, for sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe Hooper Duel as kind of a secondary... But yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. Quint doesn't experience any change. Yeah. Probably not. Our, our not in several decades. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it would be interesting. One thing that if I had one complaint about the movie, it would be that when they return, they had half the movie was about the town and reacting to the fish and all this stuff. And then they kill the fish and they just swim to the town and then it's over. I used to hate the water. I can't imagine why. I mean, we don't get... I mean, maybe the subsequent movies do that, but <laughs> no, I, I, I I've it. never watched them. That's when the munchkins come out. Ding dong, the, the shark is dead. dead. Well, that's, I mean, that's where you need your alien sequels, when they get back and everybody's mad that they sank a boat, and then they make them go back out, and there's a bunch more sharks. <laughs> that is very similar to that premise, actually. Jaws's. Jaws's. You're, you're dead. <laughs> But that would be something. We had all this buildup with the wife and the kids and all the town, and you know we didn't get to see see the mayor mayor eat hit it for you know being so incompetent and bumbling the whole time. If we learn anything, I think it's definitely that Steven Spielberg doesn't give a shit about children until he has them. That's true, for sure. See this and Close Encounters. Yeah, I would say that is essentially. You know, the feeding frenzy of local politics is pretty much where I want to leave off with. Definitely. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Um, what I want to say is I want to talk about why this movie is so rife with analysis. Because there are, there are so many readings. You know, we heard two very, very different readings already uh, of the film, you know, talking about local politics as feeding frenzy uh, with the shark metaphor working there. And then also talking about the sort of dealing with this submerged trauma 
and uh, how, how society is able to work forward. And I think the reason why this film does what it does is not because of anything is necessarily in it, although certainly there are aspects of generational conflict between, let's say, Hooper and Quint. There, sure. there are examples of you know the, the the capitalist versus the communal values of keeping the beaches open versus you know not mm -hmm. killing humans. And yep. there are of course um, lots of other. There's there, there's this sort of uh, narrative of desire that works more so in the novel where uh, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife. Whoa! And, uh, and Hooper dies in the novel. Yeah, there's a lot of like really weird sex subplots in the novel apparently yeah like the novel's not very good from what I understand I've read it and it's not bad okay and I, but yeah. less about the shark I, I wouldn't say that okay I, just the Hooper bangs Brody's wife there is that thing that happens huh yeah it's, it's good prose uh, but moving <laughs> on uh <laughs> Uh, the 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 film though is is full of these sort of things, and the reason why we're it, it's so fertile and we're we're so able to find different pieces of analysis, I think, is because of Freud. I really think Freud is what we have to bring to this, and I don't want to so much bring analysis as much as I want to show you how you can use Freud to make analysis. Uh, first and foremost, the idea of the unconscious or subconscious, as it's sometimes called. Of course, the shark's underwater, you hardly ever see it. There are special effects issues with Bruce the shark, the mechanical shark that they use, and that's part of the reason why we see very little of the shark. The reason why they use the yellow barrels is because the shark didn't work half the time, which was brilliant. I love accidental brilliance, yeah. Yeah, yeah that I mean, I can't believe that they intended to have the shark more in it. Because I thought that would have been a crucial part missing if they had put the shark in more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so there's 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 a sort of uh, consuming force that's, you know, underwater, under wraps, and I think, you know, the id, that, that part of the unconscious, that, that part of the self that, that is only this, this this seething, you know, cauldron of various and sundry desires. I mean, that's sort of what the shark is, uh, and it seeks only to consume those around him. And then, you know, you think about the base and, and the superstructure and, and sort of what Mark says, but you put, apply this in sort of a Freudian way, and you begin to see the mayor wanting only to suppress that which uh, is blue-collar, which is our our dear cop. Our who, cop and our fisherman. Who is threatened with, by the way, it is your first summer. Like, if we don't like yeah. you after one summer, you might be toast. What's that supposed He's to be? Like, exactly. The hell? Sucker. You know, <laughs> you're going to say what to me? But again, this sort of... I got this cool truck with no top. This a very inefficient police vehicle. It is a very, it's very awesome, though. I totally yeah, drive it. Baller. But he's being, you know, repressed and suppressed, again, being pushed down, and there's this sort of explosive reaction that happens according to that. Again, that intergenerational conflict between that hippie Hooper, uh, which is the 70s, they're still hippies, and the World War II generation uh, of, of Captain Quint. And so they're still at loggerhead. But that, that conflict, again, is sort of this Oedipal story where you have to deal with father who wants to castrate you. And, of course, Quint is castrated because he's bitten off at the midsection. Oh, snap. I'm just saying. And, and, and all of that sort of reading where there are these layers of It's a violent repression. death for a PG movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I couldn't believe that movie was PG. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, they didn't have PG-13. I, I guess it's not strong enough to be R, but man, it, there's a there's only two of them, but there's a couple of really graphic moments in this movie. There's yeah. not a lot, but there, like when he's flipping through the shark attack photos. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I could, and well, so many the dude's disembodied body parts. To the parts. bottom of the lake. <laughs> no, that's that bad. 
Hooper, Hooper, not Hooper, Quint getting it, man. That's yeah, that's the worst. Whew. And, and there's like a blood fountain when the, the little Kittner boy is bitten in half. I um, wrote that down, blood gusher, on it, my notes. It, it, <laughs> it's pretty awful. But again, there's it's all this sort of unconscious or uh, frustration sort of being buried mm-hmm. and coming explosively forward. There's this class thing that's working on. Uh, there's this idea of being an islander versus not being an islander and being accepted versus not being accepted, being frustrated as the immigrant community, mm-hmm. you know, trying to integrate yourself in the greater society. And again, that causes a sort of explosive tension. In the book, there's even a greater emphasis on the, uh, the economic status that uh, Hooper is of uh, actually the same economic class as Brody's wife. And they sort of knew some of the same people back in the day in Connecticut or wherever. Mm-hmm. And uh, thus, that's part of what you know ignites the initial affair that they have. And again, there's a sort of class uh, frustration that's working for Brody, the blue-collar guy. And, and what I want to say about all this, and I'm, I'm saying economic things, and I'm saying generational things, and I'm, I'm talking about Vietnam, and then I'm talking about you know the, the local politics and all that sort of stuff. The reason why it becomes so helpful and, and so resourceful is because the, su- the subconscious or the unconscious has typically been depicted by the surrealists as an ocean, is that that is which is submerged and which sort of erupts to the surface. And that is generally what's going on in all of those various analyses and readings in this particular film. And so, read you some Freud. I mean, you know, we, we dog on Freud a lot, it seems like, in, in popular conversation, but Freud says some things. And a lot of those things are quite helpful. And I, I mean, there's a need to think about unconscious mind, there's a need to talk about repression, and there's a need to talk about sublimation. And those three things, if only those three things, uh, make him valuable and make Jaws this, again, very fertile source for analysis. So let's move on to the point at which we must choose. You must choose, but choose wisely. We must choose shelf or trash, and then an else or an instead. I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohan, what say you? I have to say, it's a, sh- it's a shelf. I may not own it myself personally. I would not be against buying it. And I may watch it another time or two before my Amazon Prime instant streaming rental expires. But I do think that it was a very fruitful movie. It was good to know where all these references come from. And it was also just a good movie. That's I mean, so much fun. How how frequently do you see a movie that you're like, wow, I'm glad I watched that? How how many blockbuster movies have a monologue about a thousand men getting eaten by sharks? Yeah. That actually happened. That actually, guys, 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 listen to me right now. When Quinn talks about the USS Indianapolis, that shit happened. The bomb, the ship that delivered the bomb, got eaten by sharks for five days. That's a thing that happened in real life. One, that's terrifying. And two, it's kind of cool that that kind of crazy shit happens in real life, but also terrifying. Stay out of the water, because sharks actually live there and will actually eat you. But you were going to go ahead and give us your... My else. If you're feeling nautical, perhaps go watch The Perfect Storm. It's a 90s boat movie about... Storms raging, and I remember watching it when I was a kid. Oh. I watched it in theaters, and I liked it a lot. And, and also, I would say that Perfect Storm—it might have been a blockbuster, but it was a long time ago. If you're in the mood for a monster movie, how about late Eight-Legged Freaks? I haven't seen it myself. I don't plan on seeing it because I hate spiders. But the DVD 
cover looks enough to be monstery enough to I, I can be assure in this you, category. I, I can assure you, it is a delightful piece of garbage. Good. That's yeah, what I was going for. It's terrible in the best way. Yes. You and I are thinking some more thoughts. So That's keep, good. Keep doing and that. then if you're in the mood for Richard Dreyfus, and if you're in the mood for monster movies, go watch Piranha 3D, because apparently, according to Wikipedia, he was also in that. I, I'm so happy. Now I need to see Piranha 3D. <laughs> At, all I know is Adam Scott's in it, and I'll watch anything with Adam Scott in it. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. Shelf or trash? Shelf. Shelf. Instead. Shelf. Don't say yeah, what. Obviously, shelf. It's so good. It's classic. Uh, we've already talked at length about how awesome this this movie is for sundry reasons. So do that. Watch Jaws. Do it now. Don't buy it if you don't feel like it. I'm not going to tell you to buy anything. I refuse to do that. But watch it for sure. I mean, if you want to buy it, you can. But, you know, if you don't, then that's your prerogative, you weirdo. Um, else, I'm going to recommend two jokes and one series. And the jokes really aren't jokes. Uh, Lake Placid, starring Oliver Platt... That's a joke. From 98. Oh, and uh, Betty White's there for a little bit, too. Um, yeah, giant crocodile in uh, a small, uh, sleepy town in uh, New York. It's kind of awesome in how bad it is, and I'm pretty sure I saw it before I saw Jaws. Um, ooh, that's terrible. Uh, Deep Blue Sea, another killer shark movie. Actually kind of good uh, in, in a bad way. It's not great, but it's fun. Tom Jane's there, Sam Jackson is there, and has probably one of the finest moments of his career. One of the finest moments of Samuel Jackson's career is in the movie Deep Blue Sea. Not Snakes on a Plane. It's 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 Snakes on a Plane level. I think that movie's why Snakes on a Plane happened. Because it's... I'm going to just spoil it right now. So, the sharks attack and kill basically everyone except for, like, our, our core group of survivors. And Sam Jackson gives us... Everybody's, you know, falling into bickering and infighting. And Sam Jackson says, Nope! That's it! We are going to kill these sharks, and we're going to get out of here, and we are going to survive. And then a shark explodes out of the water, eats Sam Jackson, and goes back underwater. It's fucking great. That sounds awesome. It is the coolest. Um, last, uh, and certainly not least, because it's been one of my favorite movies of the summer so far, 2014's Godzilla. Oh, because Godzilla, yeah. it, it, much to some people's chagrin, uh, I thought it worked. Uh, Godzilla serves a similar role in that film in that he is little seen until the very end, and when he shows up, it's super cool. Um, some people have made, and me and Nick Sanford, a friend of the show, were talking about this, um, some people's reaction to why it works for them in Jaws and not in Godzilla is that because Jaws is still kind of, the shark is still pushing the movie. He is still, she, he, shark, is still the reason the plot is happening, whereas Godzilla is kind of following the plot and just showing up where the plot's happening. Um, but it's kind of awesome, and there's a total homage where all you see is uh, Godzilla spikes in the water while he's swimming, and it looks like giant, fin-shaped mountains. Mm. Wow, super cool. If you guys didn't see 2014 Godzilla, go do that, because it's really good. I like it a whole, whole, a whole lot, a whole lot, a whole lot. I dig it. Plus, Brian Cranston. Yes, Brian Cranston is there. Aaron Johnson, not so much. So that's, those are movies you should see with Godzilla. I couldn't... <laughs> those are movies you should see with Jaws. I recommend them. Excellent. Thank you very much. I, too, also say Shelf. It currently is on my shelf, the 30th anniversary two-disc special edition um, is, DVD, not Blu-ray. Is there a director's cut, and is it better or worse than... There, there are no cut differentials. Oh, okay. The cut we have is the cut we have, although I do have outtakes and other little Which bits. is what all directors should do. 
Yes, just give outtakes. There aren't very many good director cuts. Yeah, maybe Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one exception I would give. And I'm, I'm sure there are other films that there's a director's cut of Hellboy that I like better than the original. So yeah, Guillermo's kind of cool like that. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it could happen. But um, what I would say, you should also watch your Elsa's. Um, and actually tagging on to something that Alexander said just a moment ago, um, again, kind of a jokey but kind of serious, is uh, the mid-90s film Arachnophobia with uh, <laughs> Jeff Daniels and uh, the great John Goodman. Yeah, they are. And, yeah, they're in that movie. <laughs> and it, again, it's this sort of plague, you know, of something in nature, sort of of nature, that is uh, infesting and afflicting this town, and I find that to be very, very uh, interesting. The other, the other recommend I have is just this idea of the great white shark, which is this soulless monster, this eating machine that has no love, that has no care, that is only after what it wants and gives no regard to anything else. And so I immediately am thinking about Christopher Lee's performance as Dracula in The Horror of Dracula. Uh, where there's a big... T- I know! You need to keep see talking, that. keep talking. you got to see that movie. He's this very physical Dracula. He does speak to people. He does manipulate them. But there, he never cares about anybody else. He's only manipulating them so he can get what he wants. I've often said that I like my vampires like I like my great white sharks. Can we yeah. do that for Shocktober? It could happen. Mm. That's a possibility. Seriously, speaking of, 30 Days a Night... Vampires like sharks. They don't care about you. They no, just they want, don't. They don't want to be your boyfriend. They want to murder you horribly. Yeah, and drink all your blood. That's such an underrated movie. And, uh, yeah, I know. It's a, it really is a play from Hammer's uh, Horror of Dracula. Horror of Dracula mm-hmm. is, of course, the American title. For those of you listening in the UK, it's just Dracula in 1958. Um, but for some reason, Universal or whomever um, got the rights to go ahead and distribute, I think it might have been Warner Brothers. Okay. Yeah, I don't feel like it's a universal bag. Yeah, because they had their thing already. They already had their tracks with their so, Bella Gooseys. But nonetheless... Um, they I know I said it wrong, don't correct me. ...felt the need to change the name mm-hmm. for American marketing. So 1958, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Horror of Dracula. Check it out. It's the uh, candlestick one, right? Yes. Okay, good one. Yeah, the candlestick cross one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I like the parts of it I've seen. Yeah, and there's an extended Japanese release where you see much more of Dracula melting in the sunlight. Baller. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty gross. It, it, it's, it's definitely an inspiration for what you see later in Gremlins when Stripe faces the sun. Cool. It's more like that. Cool. So. Anyway, let's move on, though. Thank you so much for all of those recommends, dear listener. You have so much homework to do now. But let's move on, and let's give the dear listener opportunities to continue the conversation via that magical mystery of means known as social media. Mr. Don Stewart, do you know anything about social media? You all know me. You know how I earn a living. Well, I'll catch this bird for you. But it ain't gonna be easy. Bad social media. Not like uh, going down the uh, going down to Friendster, chasing girls, and uh, and looking up movies. This social media is while you whole favoriting, at mentioning, and down you go. We gotta do it quick. To bring back your followers, but all your business on paying basis. It's not going to be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three. I'll kill him, catch him, and I'll kill him for ten. But you got to make up your minds if you want to stay alive and any up. If you want to play it cheap, be on MySpace all winter. But I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's just too many captains on this island. Ten thousand. For me by myself. For that, you get the beak, the tail, the whole damn Twitter. 
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. We got any feedback coming in <laughs> from the Twitter there, Mr. Stewart? Uh, yeah, we got a little feedback coming in from uh, the Twitter. Um, for those of you who may or may not remember, I made fun of Fedora's last episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we all did. Uh, I did not. Brigham Cole tweeted in and admitted to purchasing a Fedora, but uh, right as the downfall began. For the record, didn't really ever wear it. I'm a flat cap man myself, if I had it all. Um, secondly, uh, Caleb Masters, former co-host, who uh, Alex has been kind enough to replace, uh, did say, Yay, estrogen! Uh, at Alex V. Books just landed huge nerd cred for picking Half-Life. All hail Gabe Newell. Gaben. Gaben. I played two in Portal. So, But uh, there you go. That's uh, what we've got. And then Alex and Caleb talked back and forth, but I don't care about anyone else. So, on we go. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so, yes. Uh, one, one uh, sorry I bought a fedora, and one, hooray, new host who likes Half-Life. So, that's our feedback this week, guys. Also, the myriad retweets and favorites that we always get from our, our devoted listeners, which I, we do appreciate. I yes. mean, I, I cannot pretend we don't. I just like it when I have things to read in this segment better. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Of course, we have more means of social media by which we are available. We have a Facebook page. We also have a Tumblr page. All of those are under our name. Just find it under Good Trash Genrecast at that particular location. We're available on Stitcher Internet Radio, and we're also available for subscription at iTunes. We love, love, love when you get ratings and written reviews on the iTunes, and we will always read that out. Also, dear listener, just to know who you are, a little bit more about you, you can send us an email at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, and just tell us your city and state. If you want to tell us a little bit more about you, that's great, or why you found the show all that stuff would be nice to hear but just to hear from you dear listener and just know that this conversation is something that's taking place and that you're thinking things alongside the rest of us we'd love to know those things that you think so keep that up and of course we're at podbean um you, you can find trash. all of our social media sites there we got links to all of it so you can find all those places from the one place goodtrashgenrecast.podbean.com well let's move on guys because i look at my watch and i realize now it's time to play the game this week's game is uh, we're going to talk about movies or scenes from movies that made you afraid of ordinary activities and or places. That's right. Movies or scenes from movies that made you afraid to do ordinary things. Brought to you by Jaws. Jaws. When you thought it was safe to go back in the water, they make the revenge. Right. And, you know, or Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which made us all think twice before we got in the shower. Which is one of my picks, actually. Oh, why? why well, since I used in the chat, I assumed it was not going to be... No, used. I'm going to talk about it because I'm not kidding. Okay, well... So I let's will, do it right now. Don't I'll, cut yourself out. Let's I'll, just... Okay, well, what are your picks? Go, Dalton. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's all punchy. I'm punchy. Um, I am not kidding. When I saw Psycho for the first time, I would have been... 10, probably. Um... And for a long time, we're talking to like an unreasonable age. I refuse to shower, specifically in hotels. I know it's disgusting to sit in the bathtub of a motel or hotel, but I was not about to use that damn shower. Uh, too scary. Too scary. That stabbing sequence is, to this day, one of the most horrifying things ever put to celluloid. It, it's it's just absolutely 
terrifying. Caveat. Caveat. You don't think that the hypothetical serial killer would mm-hmm. look down and see you in the basin of the bathtub, and you're looking up. First of all, this is this is preteen, uh, early teen logic you're talking about. Second of all, I assumed as a spry young lad uh, that if I could see them burst open the door, at the very least, I'd see them coming, and you know, wouldn't be surprised when they flung the shower curtain open. I could like spring out of the bath. And hopefully my prepubescent nudity would make them go like, not worth it, not worth it, I'm leaving. They trip over the tub exactly. and, and pack her head yeah. on the toilet well, at seat. least I'd get stabbed to death. Um, secondly, the miniseries, John Ritter is on this list twice, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. The miniseries It. And I'm not saying clowns in general. I am specifically saying Pennywise the clown. Mm-hmm. Tim Curry as a clown is a truck. I'm not afraid of clowns, guys. I'm just not. But Pennywise lights me on fire. Yeah. I remember being at my aunt and uncle's house. My uncle has a, a pretty sizable book collection. Pretty, a fairly impressive library. And one of those books was Stephen King's It. And Pennywise is just on the cover enough to make it impossible. I, I had to stay out of that room. Terrifying. <laughs> it freaked my shit out as a small child. I've gone back and watched this since, and it's a really funny movie. Like, it's very darkly comic. But it just... Ugh. You're not the only one. As much as I like ska music, I can't listen to the band Pennywise. Mm. Never have, never will. They <laughs> name themselves of that dumb clown. Not gonna do it. Excellent. Last but not certainly not, this is a certainly not least listener, because let me tell you about this shit. There is a movie called Terror Tract, starring John Ritter. It is not a good movie. Terror Tract is an anthology film from like 2000, 2001, about uh, this real estate agent played by John Ritter that takes this couple to three or four homes where obviously something horrible happened in each one of them and then he tells the story of what happened one of the stories is a story of the granny killer but not the granny killer so much as a psychic that can see the granny killer now stay with me uh it's basically uh norman bates guy dresses up like an old lady and kills young women the psychic sees this happen in his psychic visions when he sees it there there is a green glow in, in his visions, specifically, and the, the evil serial killer dressed like an old woman will be projected on the wall with this green glow. My lava lamp, as a youth, <laughs> had a very similar green glow, and that lava lamp never got left on as I was going to bed ever again after watching that movie. And I was this was like 2 in the morning on TNT when I was probably 12, maybe 11. Um, horrifying. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Could not do it. It, it heaved me out that bad. That is outstanding. <laughs> I know it's a that's a deep cut. Yeah, you're is. welcome. That's that funny. was some shit. I need to rewatch that movie because it's not good. John Ritter's awesome in it, but he's awesome in everything. Right, it's a terrible movie though. That's funny. He's got a sweet beard. Well, thank you that for that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. What films have caused strange neurotic fears in your life? Dear God, it's, it's she has a look on her face that is just. Priceless. Yeah, well, it's because it's this embarrassing. Okay, so you guys watch Disney Channel movies, right? The oh. paragons of cinematic entertainment. Dustin didn't because he's elderly, but yes, I did. I have a Disney Channel. You probably were watching when they were pumping out an original movie, like, bi-monthly. Probably not. Did you ever see Xenon Girl of the 21st Century? <laughs> Obviously. Okay. Of course I so did. So there's a scene... I thought you were going to say Halloween Town. No, no. Actually, I don't think my mom would let me watch Halloween Town movies. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, and I don't know 
what about it? It freaked me out. But there is a computer virus scene in that. Do you remember? There, okay, there's a computer virus scene. I or I hope my memory is not mistaking me, but I remember this the screen like turns to black and like you know they're like we just hacked your computer with a virus. We screwed you up. Ha ha ha. And for some reason, that made me afraid of computers for a while. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. This yeah. is the best thing I have ever heard <laughs> it made me con- in my entire life. <laughs> and it also, it still, to this day, gives me paranoia about getting computer viruses, which is a pretty decent paranoia to have. But the other day, my Steam client was messing up the Steam being the game PC game client. Um, and it was saying that my computer had a virus and I didn't know what it was and I troubleshooted it. Even though I knew it was because of the Steam in-game client, I still ran the whole diagnostic of my computer, which took like five hours. And <laughs> because of this move. Yes, I'm just terrified Ga- of getting a virus. Guys, this is why I don't game on PCs. I need it to always work all the time when I need it to work. I yeah. don't need that can't be an stuff. issue. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's scary. But that's about that's about it. I've actually that's the straight. Thank you so much for that. That's just one solid solid pick. I like it. Dust, I like it Dustin sells very, very much. Dustin, reveal your childhood trauma if you would. Well, first of all, this I is a very therapeutic game this like, week. Like everyone was in the eighties, Freddy Krueger scared me so much as he did all of us, and I was not afraid of sleeping. You know what I was afraid of? Trees. I was afraid of trees. Because there are no tree killings in the film, but tree branches across the light of my room make fingers. They make really, really long fingers. Um. And I was scared to death of shadow tree fingers for the longest time. I had to, I, I had to, my grandmother had to buy curtains because I couldn't sleep. Another thing that is kind of strange that, that, that really, really scared me is really kind of an inconsequential scene in the movie Gremlins. Go on. Where in Gremlins, Mrs. Um, Billy, whatever her name is, mom, <laughs> Billy's mom, Billy's mom, uh, kills one of the Gremlins in a in, microwave, in the but microwave. The other yeah. one she kills in a blender. Oh, yeah. <gasps> and very graphically. Very graphically. And, like, the next day, my grandmother is making use of the blender, and I was out of the room. And I was scared to use them, because it would immediately just chop my whole arm off the elbow. I just knew I would be toast if I ever made use of a blender. Hey, we did an episode of a Gremlins a long time ago. We did. I did not tell the story. Uh, but Why didn't you tell the story then? Because the question wasn't asked, and it was traumatic for me. <laughs> Do you have any more? Because yours would be good. <laughs> nope, that's it. That's all I, that was uh, terrifying to me as a young person because of the movie. I feel like there's so many more that I can't think of. Yeah, I think it's I think we yeah. all have like, weird, like really specific movie traumas. Like when you think about it, and you just yeah, absolutely are creeped out at all times. There, There's a scene in, um, I don't even know the movie, but you see a worm just under the eyeball of a person. Um, like it's a, the worm has infected them, but you see this little mm. white worm kind of uh, across the lower part of their eyelid as it's pulled down, 
and I had a heebie-jeebies about stuff around my eyeballs forever. Oh, did, I've always had did Prometheus uh, trauma, trauma issues. Make it hard to watch. No, I'm, I'm over that by then. I'm better now. Finger things were always, I, and I don't remember what I first. I remember there was an episode of Nip Tuck where the Carver is about to uh, clip one of the main guy's fingers off with a hedge trimmer, and I don't remember the first time that a bad thing happened to a finger in a movie. But I remember that really like there was something before that that made that really upsetting because mm-hmm. it doesn't even happen. But yeah, I was. I understand that. There's an episode of House going back to eye trauma. I always remember the episode. I love House, but I can't. I still can't watch that part where they're having this kid is having night terrors and they have to biopsy his eye. Boom. And so the scene is the kid is here and he's a profile view and the needle is just like. To his eye, and it watches it go. So, so no Dead Space two for you, huh? No, eye trauma. Yeah, I'm out. Nope. Spooky things are spooky. Well, guys, that game was fun, and I got a feeling our dear listeners have seen a lot of movies. Listener, please tell us about your most traumatic movie experiences. Those things that made you scared of otherwise innocuous things, maybe otherwise somewhat threatening things. But we just want to know just those things that sort of stuck with you and changed your behavior in, say, a somewhat neurotic sort of way. That's what we want to hear a bit more of. But let's move on and let's conclude the show with what we always do. Let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. How about a little fire, Scarecrow? Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up? I am fired up. Uh, today marked the conclusion of the International for Dota. <laughs> okay, I'm just glad it's over so I can get back to my real life now. Um, it was interesting. The final went all right. There's, there's of, of course, there's internet butthurt about everything. It, I doubt any of you care, so I'm not going to spend who, too much time. Who won, Argentina or Germany? It was China v. China, and China won. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was... That, a th- I made a sports joke, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was one thing. Uh, another thing I missed last week because I was so excited about the International was Weird Al's 15th and perhaps last technically released oh, album came out, Mandatory not. Fun. My maid is cleaning the bathroom so I can take a shower. in the fact that he's going to go to like probably like a song like EPs yeah not gonna like, do any more like no physical more, releases yeah because that's the end of his record contract with I think RCA and it's so, been on for a minute for a cool 30 minutes bless you years. weird <laughs> yeah. so that is good I'm sure you've seen it all over Facebook the all of the Oh, music so videos he's he's released and there are quite a good ones check out the music if you're so inclined and then one more thing that's got me fired up is that Monty Python have returned for their farewell tour, and they are doing live shows the, in England. The Monty Python. Is this the same as the Almost Live thing we talked about? This, the, the yeah. Some, yeah. Brigham told us about this. Uh, yes. Brigham gives us news things. I guess it's going to be Almost Live in some theaters. Yes, and it's going to be this week. So, Sweet. Um, check showings. You can check it on the Monty Python web, that 
portal How for many, that side. Is everybody but Graham Chapman still alive? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Man, yeah. I liked Graham. My mom saw Graham Chapman speak at her university. Cool. Yeah. Jealousy. That's so cool. Anyway. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, I hope to find there's fire with you, sir. Most assuredly, good sir. Um... <laughs> We were talking about. Sound like we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my god! If only. Uh, secondary podcast. What's up? Um, we need another spinoff. Uh, we talked about Snowpiercer last week and how it was available for rent while in theater on Amazon. I said I might get to go see it. Well, I did, and it was freaking so good. I've heard great things. It was. It, it is the perfect film for this show because it is actiony. It is silly and funny. Uh, it is interesting and well designed and well plotted. Uh, and there's so, so much analysis, mostly about class struggle, uh, because the bourgeoisie, I can't talk today, because the bourgeoisie must be brought to their knees. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, no, not the message of this film, surprisingly. It's sometimes you got to take the third option, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Um, a great movie. A fabulous movie. I love it. I could not more highly recommend it. Um, no going in that parts of it are, are kind of intentionally campy and a, a weirdly... Um, off-kilter sense of humor because um, if you don't know that going in I feel that that might make it difficult for some viewers because it doesn't happen right away it takes a little bit of time they set the foundation because it goes from to quote Nick Sanford uh, children of men to the raid in about four seconds nice. and it's awesome um, and then um, yeah Tilda Swin shows up and does a monologue about shoes also excellent yes. I'm glad to hear that fun fact about Snowpiercer when you, when you go and see it Tilda Swinton's uh, role was originally written and offered to John C. Riley, and when they cast Tilda Swinton, they left in all of the male gender references, so sir and he and like all the gender pronouns were left as masculinized, just for kicks and giggles. Um, well, she is the queen of androgyny. She's the best. She <laughs> is an actual vampire, much like um, Loki. Hiddleston. There Tom we go. Yeah. Which is why... Uh, God, Jim Jarmusch uh, cast them as vampires because they are, in fact, vampires, and you have no evidence to dispute that. Moving on. I want to see Only Love is Left Alive. I do, so too. Bad. I, I do, miss too. It. It, was, it, it was playing here in the city briefly. There's we a great ride of that in sight and sound from a couple of months ago. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. I want to see it so much. much. I, I'm a, I'm, I like Jarmusch quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, uh, the, Destin- the beta for uh, Bungie's new game, Destiny, uh, was made available to, to peoples this week. Um, I think it might just be PlayStation 4 people. So, sorry the rest of you. Uh, it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. I don't normally go in for betas because uh, I don't care. But a friend of the show, Caleb Masters, had an extra code for the beta and was nice enough to ask if I wanted it. And I said, yeah, obviously. Um, and I've been playing it pretty much nonstop since he gave it to me. It's, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend that. So, yeah. Do that if you got a PS4. And if you don't, then I'm sorry. Wait till September when it comes out. And go see Snowpiercer. Dustin Sells, what has got you fired up this week in popular mechanics? I'm fired up about a handful of things. One of those things is um, Martin Scorsese. I mean, when are you not fired up about him? He's making another movie. Well, okay. He's making another movie called The Silence, which is about Jesuit missionaries in Japan just at the time at which the Emperor's throwing all the missionaries out of Japan. Have we talked about this already? We have talked about it, but there's casting now. Oh, okay, cool. Christian Bale is the Jesuit priest in question. Cool. His mentor is played by one Liam Neeson. Dang. Are you in? Batman! 
Are you in? Oh, couldn't be more in. Didn't they? The what? prequel of the prequel. It's Bat- Batman Begins prequel. Yeah, it's about his time with the League of Shadows. Uh, didn't I'm excited. Didn't Christian Bale play a Jesuit missionary once? He already? did once in yes. a Chinese movie. Yes. Interesting. So is I'm Christian excited. Bale a Jesuit missionary? He is life? not. So very, very excited about I, uh, yeah. catching that because Scorsese, he's he's asking those Catholic questions. I think he's finally making his version of the Flowers of Saint Francis. Uh, which is a uh, Italian um, film about Francis Assisi, and uh, which is a great, great, great film that everyone should see immediately. Is that Saint and Francis? Saint Francis. Saint yeah. Francis's last name was Assisi. He's from Assisi. From Assisi. So he's of Assisi. Okay. Assisi. <laughs> Moving right along, you're making jokes. That's not. That's not appropriate. I didn't mean to. Uh, that's available currently on the Hulu Plus if you want to see uh, the Flowers of Saint Francis. So uh, check it out, and it's very, very good. Also, I had a friend who's got a humongous vinyl collection, and we were hanging out, listening to records, and uh, I like Van Morrison. I always have thought Brown Eyed Girl was a fine song. I thought, yeah. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah, I like that song, but I'm like, I didn't think I was a Van Morrison fan. Mm-hmm. I, I knew who he was. Mm-hmm. I'd heard other things, mm-hmm. and they'd say that was him, and i go, oh, yeah, it sounds like him. I listened to an album called Astral Weeks, which is uh, very early in his career, and it is the most magnificent thing I've ever encountered. Ever. You guys doing hash? No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. This music, I, I cannot begin to describe the transcendence of this Irish kid doing kind of this bluesy soul music. Cool. I, I cannot describe to you cool. what's going on. This sort of Celtic spirituality meets, uh, again, uh, James Brown. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the ditch and the back road stop Could you find me? Or would you kiss my eyes? Laying it down The silence is To be born again To be born again It is fantastic. Astro Weeks, actually there's a version of it available on YouTube. James Brown? That's soul music. Mm-hmm. So it's a little soul? Oh my Where's goodness, it it's soul. Okay, I was thinking it's blues. blues. Like, it, now his, it's a soul singer on top of blues, like a BB, like a BB King type music, but with is, the, which okay. you got like a jazz infusion. Oh man! And it's transcendent and oh, spiritual. Okay, and beautiful. All right. And I, it may have changed my life. Mm. I'm serious. I've become an evangelist for this album. Everyone needs to go out and listen to Astral Weeks immediately. And so that's that's really it that's got me fired up this week. I mean, there's a whole lot of great stuff going on in the world, and uh, we're very, very excited about all those things, and we would love to hear the things you, dear listener, are fired up about. However, we are very fired up together about next week's film because a sequel has something to do with fire of the film. We're going to be looking at The Hunger Games. That's right. The Hunger Games. The Starving Sports. We are closing out our big movies marathon. We did something from the aughts. We did something from the 90s, the 80s, and 70s. Now we're jumping back forward in time, going back to the future, if you will, and going to do something from the tens, teens. Spoiler alert, I don't really care for this film, so that'll be fun. Well, it'll be good times. I've not seen it yet, um, so 
good times will be had by all. I'm You're sure. a 30 year old man, so you've seen all the things that influence this film, so you don't care. Oh, do I not? Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, if I was a 12 year old girl, this movie probably would have blown my face off. I'm not a 12 year old girl, as it turns out. I've been watching science fiction since before I could stand, so I was unimpressed. Hmm. It'll be a fun show. I'm a girl, and I also wasn't super impressed. There you go. Well, I'm sure 12 year olds of all shapes, genders, and sizes are enthralled by this film because they haven't seen Mad Max or Soylent Green or Star Trek or Star Wars. Or but Jennifer Lawrence is awesome, so it's going to be great. I do like Jennifer Lawrence yes. a whole, whole lot. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be. I'm great. sorry, now I'm ranting. We'll say this for next yes. week. Yes, dear listener, take a look at that film. Take a look at all the films that we recommended as our Elsas, our unanimous Elsas, because we all say it's a shelfable film with Jaws. Watch Jaws, have a thought, have a great conversation with somebody you care about, eat popcorn and pie after the movie with that person, and discuss the film. There's a Christian Slater line about eating a pie after movies. Anyway. Yes, there is. There is. I'm not out of my mind. Do that because it turns out the movies are more than just 90 minutes spent with a sugary drink and milk duds. No, dear listener, they matter so much more because they help us reflect on life to live more meaningful, significant, and satisfying lives. And until then, we'll see you all next time. One day on a lark decides to get rowdy, get real violent Takes a vacay up to Amity Island Sunshine, lotion, fun in the sun, blood in the ocean Everybody run, cause it's crazy how few fucks this shark gives He'll eat naked ladies, he'll eat little kids, oh no Community's safe There's a guy named Brody and his pal Richard Dreyfus. Jaws don't know that a storm's gonna come. He just wants everyone to be his chum. Get it? Get it? The mayor don't care if the townsfolk die. He doesn't want to spoil the 4th of July. He's like, everyone cool it and go for a swim. But holy shit, here comes that friend singing Jaws is here. on his head, but the wrong little shark baby ends up dead. It was John's little brother, now he's pissed. The mayor just shot to the top of his list. He sneaks in his house in the middle of the night, and he eats that fucker in a single bite. Golly. Now the mayor's dead, so Brody's in charge. He knows the real killer is still at large. So he and the Dreyfus make a decision. They're going on a mission. They're gonna go fishing. Jaws. A man named Quint lets him use his boat on the condition that he'd be the one to cut Jaws' throat. Cause he was a sailor back in World War II, and Jaws ate his entire crew. Whoa, Jaws is here. Here is Jaws. He is a shark without a cause. He was in a movie, a movie called Jaws. Jaws is here.
on the sea, they wait all night. Where could Jaws be? He's nowhere in sight. Dreyfus decides to go down in a cage, and Jaws shows up in a full-on rage. He tears up the cage like paper in a shredder, while Dreyfus makes his wetsuit wetter. He hides behind a rock like a cowardly prick, and he doesn't come back until the end of the flick. Brody's like, we're gonna need a bigger boat, so they go back home and get a bigger boat. The biggest boat that's ever sailed, gonna kick Jaws' ass, so I guess his tail. Yeah, his tail. But oh my shit, Jaws jumps out and quick gets bit right in half like a Kit Kat bar. Up in the sky, there's a shooting star that's quit. Up in heaven, he's a star now. Brody's angry, he's all like, fuck it. He takes a harpoon and welds into a rocket. Jaws' last words are, whoa, respect. Then he explodes and it's a pretty good effect. Yeah, Jaws is dead. Long live Jaws. He was a shark without a cause. He was in a movie, you should watch it, it's called Jaws. Jaws is dead. Jaws is dead. Long live.